Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. So glad that you're here. Hope you had a great week and a great weekend. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as a senior pastor here at BT Church and the privilege of taking us into God's Word today. If you have a copy of God's Word, digital or physical, why don't you meet me in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 is where we will be today. Uh, Let me say a few things. First off, as you saw in the video, we have an upcoming uh, night that's going to be very special. We're calling it the All Things New uh, Worship Experience, and that is February 17th for our Valley campuses. And so I want to ask you to mark that on your calendar to clear that date. We'd love for you to be here with us that night as we worship together and as we begin to talk about an important season that our church is going to enter into. We celebrate this year 38 years of faithful gospel ministry as a church. Back in 1985, a small group of believers felt that God was calling them to step out in faith to start a new church in North McAllen. And uh, not a lot of people thought it made sense because a lot of North McAllen was ag land at that point in time. But by faith, they stepped out. And 38 years later, here we are continuing to see the move of God, not just in North McAllen, uh, but through the five physical locations that God has blessed us with, plus online ministry. And we believe the best is yet to come. I am thankful. Hear me. Amen. I am thankful to stand on the shoulders of those that stepped out in faith in 1985 and continued on in 1987 as this uh, campus was built. And it didn't look just like this then. It's been renovated, remodeled, added on to. Um, I'm the fourth senior pastor. I stand on the shoulders of those that have served before me. But all that being said, here is the reality. If we believe the best is behind us, then what are we doing? We believe the best is yet to come. And here's the truth. One day I will not be the senior pastor of this church delivering a sermon, and you probably won't be sitting in those seats either. Uh, The Lord tarries and Jesus doesn't come back for us. We'll breathe our last breath and We'll go on to heaven. You're like, man, this is already encouraging. You're telling me I'm going to (laughs) die. But here's what I want. What I want is as long as Jesus waits to come back, as I want BT Church, founded by those faithful followers in 1985, Baptist Temple, my prayer is that, that the ministry here will long outlive all of us if Jesus waits to come back. And so we believe that God is preparing us for yet another season of fruitful ministry, a continued experience of revival. And we believe that in this season, God wants to continue renovating hearts in South Texas and across the world. And so uh, we're going to start a special sermon series on on February 26th called Renovation. It'll be six weeks. And that sermon series is going to launch us into a two-year season of intentional generosity uh, where we're going to seek Uh, for the Lord to move in our hearts and challenge us to go above and beyond. And uh, we will conclude that with the celebration of our 40-year anniversary as a church. And so uh, more information is coming, but that night, February 17th, is a chance to kind of start early with us and to begin to worship uh, as we begin to anticipate what God's going to do as he moves in us and through us. Because catch that, he always moves in us before he works through us. And uh, he has worked through the ministry of Baptist Temple, now known as BT Church, for 38 years. Uh, and we believe that he is not done yet. Amen? Amen. So uh, outside of that, we do have other things happening in life for our church that we want to celebrate because we believe in a culture of celebration. And like any discipline, if you don't do it, you get bad at it. And there are enough churches with enough grumpy people that we don't want to become one. So we want to try to continue to celebrate what the Lord is doing. And so we celebrate that so far this year, we've had four people cross the line of faith saying yes to Jesus, receiving new life in him. 
We've had nine people go public with that decision through believer's baptism. We're going to have one more in this service or more. And so we just celebrate what God is doing. And sometimes, you know, last year we ended the year celebrating over 390 salvations and 227 baptisms. And uh, sometimes the numbers can either seem underwhelming or overwhelming. By the way, they're always overwhelming because each one matters. So, you know, you heard us saying, we're at 200 or 300 now. Hey, we're at four salvations. And, and let me just kind of paint a picture, though, of what God has been doing as he has graced us with the movement of his spirit. In three years, we've seen over 1,000 people place their faith in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life. And we've seen over 600 people go public with that decision through baptism. And so uh, we just believe that the Lord is moving in a powerful way, and we want to continue to walk in step with him. Uh, and so uh, also I want to say this, today uh, we are starting a three-week series on prayer and coinciding with that we are launching a 21-day prayer and fasting initiative. Uh, we're going to make this an annual part of our church ministry. We'll, we'll do it at the start of every year, so it's the first time we're doing it. And so starting tomorrow, so we've got a three-week sermon series and then starting tomorrow I'm going to ask everyone who calls BT their home church to join us in 21 days of prayer and fasting. We have created a guide to help you along the journey, and so we have limited physical copies at our info center, and you can find it digitally as well at bt.church prayer or on our app right there on the first page, or you can scan the QR code that's behind me. Um, you're not taking pictures of me, you're taking pictures of that. So, um, But I encourage you to, to access that some way, familiarize yourself with it today, and we begin the journey tomorrow. And you're like, man, 21 days of prayer and fasting, that sounds great, but I've never fasted in my life. I don't think I can go 21 days without food. Yes, you can. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's the deal. There are other ways to fast. And so the great thing is at the end of the guide, there's a a, a thorough explanation of what fasting is and different ways you can go about it. You can do sugar-free. You can, uh, you know, do caffeine-free. Some of you should not do that because you're not pleasant without it. But um, that there's in the world we live in, you can do a screen fast. Here's the deal. Fasting is not primarily about what you're removing. It's what you're replacing it with. And so it's saying no to certain things to say yes to more of Jesus in your life. And so I'm saying if you call this place your home, Will you start with us tomorrow for 21 days? We're calling it consecrate because to consecrate something is to declare it as set apart for sacred use. And we want to declare that our lives are set apart for sacred use and that this place called BT Church is set apart for sacred use as well. Amen? Excellent. Well, hey, one more thing before we jump into the text. It is uh, most likely we have some VIPs today. You've already been welcomed, but I want to welcome you again. All of you that are here for the first time or watching online first time, thanks for being here. Let's make some noise for our VIPs. If you have not done so, please text us at 97,097,000, type BTVIP, one word, no space, so we can respond to you and answer questions you might have. And uh, then one more thing, McAllen family, make sure we again welcome the BT online family, all of those watching online from wherever they are today. All right. So this is what we're going to do for three weeks. We're talking about prayer. And what I want to do to kick the series off is I want to talk about corporate prayer. Because I think a lot of times when we think of prayer, we, we simply think of what it means to have a personal prayer life. Now listen to me. A personal prayer life is of paramount importance for you to be a fully formed follower of Jesus. If you do not have a personal prayer life, you are not a mature or maturing son or daughter of God. 
And so personal prayer life matters. But I think sometimes we get blinders and we lose sight of the role and importance of a corporate prayer life, of the power of a praying church. And today I want to talk about what does a praying church, not just a praying person, but what does a praying church experience? I would say this is that, you know, we live in a, in, in a day where more and more people are living individualized lives. We're, we're becoming more and more isolated in many ways. Listen, uh, there's this great tension. We just welcome the online family. I am grateful for online ministry. I'm thankful that when people are, are gone and not near a campus, they can watch. I'm thankful when people want to invite friends and family into their living room to watch. I'm thankful when people don't feel well, they can watch. But as I said in that tension, listen, if you live close to a campus, you should get to a campus. And if you don't live close to a campus and you're not inviting people into your home to watch with you, that's not church, right? And I think sometimes what happens is we live in such an isolated and individualized society is we begin to forget that the church is actually needed, that God gave this to us as a gift, but it's also a requirement for the Christian life. And I've said this before, you know, we live in a day and time where people say, listen, Chris, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Biblical fact, you do not have to go to church to be a Christian. In fact, sadly, today, there are many people in church hoping their presence there will make them right with God. Being in a room with people doing godly things does not make you a follower of Jesus. So yeah, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, just like I don't have to go home to be married, as I like to say. But if I want to have a healthy marriage, I better be home. And I'm going to say this, and you can choose to disagree and be wrong. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but you cannot be a mature one without it. You cannot be a mature follower of Jesus without the body of Christ. And so if you are removed from the body of Christ and say, but I have the most dynamic prayer life personally, you only have half of a prayer life. Because when we pray corporately, what we begin to experience is we begin to experience the movement of God in exponential ways that then trickles into our personal prayer life with him. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus, I paraphrase, says, listen, when two people agree in my name, those things are done. Now, now listen, don't find a buddy today and say, hey, you, let's pray for me to win the lottery, right? Um, because the Bible also says, seek first the kingdom of God, right? And so uh, getting some people to pray you win the lottery might not be seeking first the kingdom of God, uh, but should you win the lottery, be sure to tithe. And so... Um, I think somewhere in the Bible it says the lottery winnings, the tithe is 50%, not 10. So, so, so we, we, we don't want to hijack the Bible like some, some false teachers do. When Jesus says, when two agree in my name, that those things are, are going to come to pass, it's not some type of prosperity theology that says, hey, let's just agree for God to do some good stuff for us. No, it's about agreeing in the will of God. But I, but I want to not, not get too far into that. That's a sermon in itself. I want to point out what Jesus said, when two agree in my name. That word agree is the Greek word symphoneo. It's where we get the English word symphony. Symphoneo literally means multiple voices or sounds making one sound, right? I'm not the most cultured person on the planet. I admit that. But I do like the symphony. 
I've always enjoyed the symphony or an orchestra. I I like to go, and when you have the woodwinds and the brass and the strings and the percussion, and they're all coming together to play a piece of music that they could not play apart from each other. There's something powerful about that. And sometimes even in a composition at a symphony, maybe a violin player will have a solo, and the solo may be powerful, but the solo does not stand in itself the way the piece of music the symphony plays does. And my concern is that today in the church of Jesus, there's a lot of soloist prayers. And we're forsaking the power when we come together as a symphony in agreement. Right? A symphony doesn't work when everybody's playing a different piece of music, does it? A symphony is playing one piece of music that cannot be played as an individual. It takes the multiple parts to make the one sound that we get to enjoy. And I believe God has called us as individuals to belong to the church so that we're not simply praying solo prayers, while those are important, but we're, we're praying symphonic corporate prayers together, agreeing, dying to myself so I can pray in agreement with you at times. And I believe that when the church is a praying church, powerful things Happen. So what I want to do today is I want to briefly tell you three things a church experiences when a church is truly a praying church. Let me start off here in uh, Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, about that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church, and he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. Let me hit the pause button, because some of you maybe are new to church or are new to the scriptures, and you've read a little bit about it, or maybe you've been in church your whole life, but you're a little bit confused, because as you read the New Testament, you keep reading about Herod, and he's kind of all over the place, and it's like, how is Herod living that long? Um, and, and, and is it the same dude? So let me just clarify a few things real quick, because if you've maybe been around church and you've read a little bit of the Bible, you may know that when Jesus was born, there was a dude named Herod who said, let's kill babies. He was a bad guy. Um, And so he heard there was a king being born, right? Because Jesus is the king of kings. And he heard that a king was being born. And so, so Herod, that's Herod the Great. Herod the Great said, let's kill all of the male babies. Let's just kill them all. This is no longer Herod the Great, okay? Herod the Great was not a great guy despite the name. And so he he wanted to kill the infants because he didn't want a new king. Also, we know that in the New Testament, Rome was the world power. And Rome had an emperor, right? When Jesus was born, it was Caesar Augustus. And, And Rome had governors and all these things. Just for clarity, let me do a quick history lesson. Don't check out. Herod is not part of the Roman hierarchy. He's Jewish power, okay? So, so Herod the Great, again, not a great guy, right? He, he, he wants to kill babies, and then he has a son named Herod, right? And, and he kills Herod the son, right? Not a good dad. But, but Herod has a grandson named Herod, right? And, and, and so just to, you know, not get confusing, uh, Herod 1 is the great, and Herod 3 is Agrippa. Everybody say Agrippa. All right, we're all together. So this is Herod Agrippa that we are reading about. He was a, a Jewish power, and, and what, what, what he knew is that if he persecuted the church, people would like him. Also interesting, just for historical knowledge, Herod Agrippa had befriended a, an influential Roman named Caligula, and, and, and a guy named Tiberius was emperor at the time, right? And Herod Agrippa goes through Rome saying, man, I wish Tiberius was dead because Caligula would be a better emperor. How do you think Tiberius received that? 
not well. Uh, so Herod Agrippa is thrown into prison, but six months later, Her- uh, Tiberius dies, right? So Caligula becomes emperor, and what does he do? He releases Herod out of gratitude for his promotion of Caligula, and now Herod Agrippa actually has control of all that Herod the Great, his grandfather, did. Clear as mud? All right, let's keep rolling. So that, that's what's happening. J- just to put the pieces together, that's what's happening here. And now he violently attacks the church. He executes James, John's brother, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased, verse 2, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter, too, during the festival of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, check it out, underline this, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Notice it doesn't say that John was praying fervently, which matters, that's important. It doesn't say that, that Paul was praying fervently or John Mark or Barnabas or Luke. It doesn't list people's individual names. It says the church was praying fervently to God. Now, I don't wanna add to the text. Please understand this is just a possible sidebar. It, it, I think it's interesting though that it doesn't say after verse one, when Herod violently attacked the church, that they, that they prayed at that moment. It doesn't say Herod attacked the church, they prayed fervently. It says he attacked the church and he executed James. We don't know, they may have been praying the whole time, but understand this, sometimes we go through darkness and it reminds us of the necessity to come together in prayer. However they got there, as the attacks are happening and when Peter is arrested, we get this critical part of verse 5 that the church was praying fervently to God for him. So what did the church experience and what does the church experience today when it is committed to prayer? Three things. Here's the first one I'd like you to write down. Miracles. Miracles. Listen to what it says. I'm going to read a handful of verses here in Acts 5, 6 through 17. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that's Peter, That very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. This is just sidebar, by the way. I find it interesting that Peter was arrested, was likely en route to execution. He didn't know for sure. Bible doesn't say. But he's arrested, and Herod is waiting to present him to kind of up his appeal and likely execute him. Peter has been arrested. The guard has been increased. He's literally between two guards. And what is the dude doing? He's sleeping. I just read it, right? I think when, you, when we read too fast, we miss this. Why am I pointing that out? How is it that while he's arrested and facing possible execution, like is he narcoleptic? How is he able to sleep between two guards that want to kill him? I believe Peter is sleeping with the peace that passes understanding. Beloved, can you have peace in a storm? Yeah, but we gotta choose to walk in it. I think all that Peter had gone through, literally seeing Jesus calm a storm, walking on water, being restored by Jesus after his failures. I'm sure Peter had some concerns and anxious thoughts, but nonetheless, the text tells us that he was able to sleep. 
Verse seven, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. I love this. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, quick, get up. Peter's got so much peace, light, sh- light from heaven shines in the cell and he's still snoring. The angel kicks him in the side. Get up, fool. <laughs> quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angel told him. Put on your sandals. I swear this is like every morning at my house with my kids. Turn on the light. Get out of bed. Pull them out of the bed forcibly, you know? And then uh, how, does it ha- how does it work? The, children, the kids don't remember that when you get up, you should get dressed, right? I mean, put on your shoes. Anyways, I just, it's, I, I relate to this part of the scriptures. It says, put on your sandals, and he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told them, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know that what the angel did was really happening. But he thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice and because of her joy, she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. I love this, verse 15. You are out of your mind, they told her. I love what's happening. What's happening? Verse five, and they were praying fervently for Peter's release. It says again here, and they were praying when he shows up. Rhoda goes to the door, hears Peter's voice. Hey, hey, Peter's at the door. Girl, you crazy. (laughs) What were we praying about again? Oh yeah, for Peter to be like, I'm gonna come back to that one, by the way. You're out of your mind, they told her, but she kept insisting that it was true, and they said, it's his angel. Peter, however, kept knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. And motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell these things to James and the brothers, he said, and he left and went to another place. Here in the text, what happens is the church gathers and prays fervently to God on Peter's behalf. During those prayers, Peter is snoozing between two guards because he's got a peace that passes understanding. The Lord sends an angel, bright light shines. Peter doesn't wake up. He rouses Peter from his sleep. Chains fall off his wrist. He gets dressed. They walk past the guards to the iron gate. It opens by itself. Then angel disappears. And Peter goes to the house where they had gathered to pray. What had just happened? The miraculous had just happened. Beloved, hear me today. This can be a controversial statement. I'm going to unpack it. But a praying church, plain and simple, experiences miracles. We live in a time, unfortunately, where the word miracles has been hijacked by two different groups. There is one group today in the church, and they would say this, that, that when you really love God, and, and you really love me and my ministry, and you really, you know, you, you, you sow, that's the thing, you sow into my ministry so I can fly first class and buy more jets and all, when you do that, you're going to get the miracles applied to your life. And unfortunately, these, these false teachers that are making millions of dollars 
They are largely being supported not by people with millions of dollars, but people with next to nothing, believing that when they sow into this ministry, God's going to transform their lowly situation. Now hear me, beloved, God can bless financially and God can bless with health, but they are not the only ways that God blesses. I think the ability to sleep between two guards who wanna take your life is a pretty good blessing. And so there's been a pendulum swing. And so when we say miracles, it means manipulating God to do our bidding. When we say miracles, it means that, that someone's uh, you know, gaining from the benefit of the actions of the church. And, and so miracles is kind of this misappropriated reality. But then the pendulum goes way the other way. And in some churches, if you say miracles, you get ran out the back door because we know God doesn't do that. God, you know, and the response, it's, 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 it's good biblical truth. It's just, it's just misused. You know, God doesn't exist for us. Absolutely he doesn't. He exists for his glory. But in God's, in God's graciousness, he has deemed that his glory is experienced in part when he blesses his people. How amazing for you and me. He doesn't exist for me. He exists for himself. But sometimes there are churches, and they don't believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They believe in the duality of Father and Son because the Holy Spirit, he's that spooky guy we can't talk about. Beloved, let me just say a few things today. I believe that one of the characteristics of God, that by the way, he doesn't share with us, is a word called immutability. I've talked about this before. Immutability doesn't mean that God doesn't stop talking. Praise God, he doesn't stop talking, right? He speaks to us. Immutability doesn't mean he doesn't stop talking. Immutability means he does not change. That's why the old hymn says, there is no shadow of turning with thee. And, and, and so I just believe this, if, if God does not change, then he has not changed in his revelation to his people of his goodness and his faithfulness and, and his power as well. And so I stand confidently and say that according to scripture, I believe a praying church will experience the miracles of God. What we might have to do though is adjust our lenses for what a miracle is. Now listen to me. We believe at this church that God intervenes and intercedes in the miraculous. We have stories of people in this church who were told, hey, you have cancer, and then they found out six weeks later the cancer was gone with no medical intervention. That's God. We also have people who were told, hey, you have this diagnosis, cancer or something else, and then through medical intervention, it was gone. Don't discount medicine is not miraculous. It's from God. My wife and I told our son wouldn't walk. He walks, miraculous, right? And so we experience the miraculous hand of God. But never, never lose sight of this. As amazing as the miracles are when someone is healed, when a job is provided at just the right time, whenever the, 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 the money that's not enough to cover the month gets stretched, we have people in our church that cannot explain how they tithed the first fruits to the Lord in trust and they paid all their bills with no, no extra income but they, they, their, their money literally, literally went further than it had before, right? We, we, we celebrate those stories, but all of those stories are temporary. But there is one miracle that is not, and it is the greatest miracle of all, and it's a heart of stone that becomes a heart of flesh, and it's a sinner far from God saying, Jesus, I need you, and I believe you died and you rose, and would you be my savior? And in that moment, salvation is 
ushered in by the power of the Spirit, and that person goes from a child of darkness to a child of light, from a child of the devil to a child of the one true king, and the single greatest miracle is not temporary healing or monetary provision. The single greatest miracle is salvation applied to people who don't deserve it, and we get to experience that. And so I say unapologetically, I say unapologetically that a praying church will indeed experience miracles. We don't take it for granted, right? We gather every first Wednesday of the month for a prayer meeting here in this room for our Valley campuses. We, we gather every first Wednesday and, and, and we pray for the lost. Hey, guess what we're seeing happen? Lost people getting saved, right? We, we pray for healing. We, we have a time where people come forward and, and they bring their concerns. Those who are sick are anointed with oil and they're prayed over. And just sidebar, by the way, because I'm preaching a little bit, there are way too many empty seats in this room on the first Wednesday. Feel free to join us, right? But we, we gather and we pray and we believe God to intercede and intervene. And this is what happens. See, this, this is why the corporate prayer matters and, and it complements the personal prayer. It is only when you have a healthy personal prayer life and you belong to a church that promotes a healthy corporate prayer life that something crazy starts to happen and we start to experience the extraordinary at a very ordinary pace. Let, let, let me just reiterate that. Every single time someone crosses the line of faith and says, I, ha I, I give myself to Jesus, that is the greatest miracle we'll ever witness because it doesn't expire. It goes to the next life for all of eternity. Last year, 396 people in our services and through the ministry of our church made that decision. And if we're not careful, we get used to it. And what we fail to realize is that it's not that it's not extraordinary that people come forward and say, man, I gave my life to Jesus. It's not that it's not extraordinary. It's just that by God's grace, we're getting to experience the extraordinary at a relatively ordinary pace, meaning that every week people are making that decision. Why? Why? Because I believe one of the bedrock foundational parts of our church going back to 1985 is a commitment to corporate prayer. It's a group of people that gather Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. to pray, and that's happened, maybe not from day one, but for a long time, I know. It's gathering once a month for an intentional time for worship and prayer. It's saying in a community group, let's take some time to pray for one another. It's offering a time at the end of a service for people to be prayed over. It's an intentional commitment, not simply to promote personal prayer, but corporate prayer of the saints. And plain and simple, a praying church will, in fact, experience miracles. Now, verse 15, I pointed this out earlier. They're praying fervently to God, specifically for Peter. And when Peter knocks on the door and Rhoda says, Peter's here, they said, you are out of your mind. Let me tell you why I love that being in the scripture. Because it reminds me, it reminds me that the people in the scripture aren't all that different than me. Hear, hear me clearly. We do not need to venerate the people of the scripture outside of Jesus. Venerate, fancy word. We don't need to lift them up or worship them or pray to them in any way, shape, or form because Jesus is the Savior. We recognize the bold faith of those in the text, right? And some people say, oh, you're being arrogant. Listen, I'm not, I'm not claiming to have And I think it's okay to say that at times I actually operate in that faith. And what I love about verse 15, that while they're praying fervently for the miraculous, the miracle shows up. They're like, girl, you are crazy. 
Because it's like the, the prayer that was offered in the New Testament. Lord, I believe this guy's got a sick kid. He's like, hey, could you come and could you help if, if you would? He's like, if. Only believe. And, and the guy says, I do believe, Lord. He says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. They are praying fervently for God to intervene on Peter's behalf. I believe they are praying with belief. And then when it happens, they're like, what? And here's the beauty of God. He's willing to accept it that sometimes we will pray fervently. And when he provides, we're going to go, I don't But here's the goal. Listen, it's okay to be surprised when God moves in accordance with the prayers we offer to his will. It's okay to be surprised. But you know what the goal should be? The goal should be to stop being surprised. The goal should be not, not stop being thankful, hear me, not stop being, th- but, but to pray and, and to pray in accordance with the will of God and to pray corporately and personally. And then when God begins to move, to not be surprised, but to keep moving with him. So a praying church experiences miracles, but secondly, a praying church experiences movement. Movement. So it says in Acts 12, 18. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And after Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. And on an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. And the assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. So there's this group of people. They are not in Herod's good graces. They know that is not to their advantage, so they cry for peace. Herod puts on the fancy clothes, sits on the fancy chair, delivers a fancy speech, and the people's response are, we aren't hearing a normal man. This has got to be a God. It says in verse 23, at once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. And that's your feel good verse for the day. (laughs) Just, you know, I I try to read slowly and notice things. I just think it's interesting that it says he was eaten by worms and died. It doesn't say that he was died and was eaten by worms. That's the normal course of events. I I don't want to be graphic, but that's, that's that's an unpleasant death died by worms. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. So anyways, so, so here's the deal. A praying church, a church committed to the corporate practice of prayer will experience the miraculous, will experience the extraordinary, will experience the supernatural. And as that happens, we will experience the continued movement of God. In 1985, a group of believers felt that God was moving, and so they followed. This is what we do. This is, some of you have done the, the famous Bible study, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. The, 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 the cornerstone 
teaching of that is you find where God is working and you join him in it. And so that group of believers, I wasn't a part of it. I'm just speaking from what I've been told and what I know. They felt that God was moving in such a way that North McAllen, while it didn't make logical sense, was a great place for a church to be. People did not agree. Maybe they even mocked them. I don't know. But they stepped out in faith because they felt they, they saw God moving. And this is what happens when the church corporately prays and they follow the moving of God. You know what happens? They become a movement of God. We have some charter members still in our church and in this room. And as great men and women of faith as they are, I believe that What's happened over 38 years, maybe in 1985, they would not have believed that as to be the trajectory. When God moves, a praying church notices and responds, and then the praying church becomes a movement of God. And you know what happens when we become a movement of God? You know what? When we become a movement of God, God does more than we ask for. I'm sure if we could assemble all of those charter members still living today and even that founding pastor and say, hey, what was your vision and what was your hope and what was your prayer? I bet they would issue some statements of things they prayed for that were bold, but I am willing to guarantee that what BT has experienced in 38 years exceeds what they asked for. That today we would not simply be worshiping at 2001 Trenton that was built in 1987, praise God. But today, right now, we would be worshiping in Sherryland and Edinburgh and Alice and Kingsville with hundreds if not thousands watching online. That we would talk about a thousand plus people giving their life to Christ over 36 months. When a church is committed to prayer, not just as an individual person, but as a corporate body, God does the miraculous. And if the church stays in step, that church becomes part of the movement of God because he does more than we ask for. And if we can't get down with that, then why in the world do we close every service saying now to him who is able to what? Do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in him within us. It's not our power. Don't get it twisted. This isn't prosperity. This is good Bible. So we get too scared to believe the crazy parts of the Bible. It is God's power. It's not our power. We don't get to manufacture it, manifest it. We don't get to call it down. Some people are like, oh, I'm declaring this. Well, you don't get to do that. But when we seek him for, listen, seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33 is beautiful because it, it takes that tension and it centers the pendulum. For, peop, for, for people like, oh, you know, it's all about God just wants to bless you. You're the apple of his eye. And, and, and you can just declare and you can name and claim with these things and, because God's just, he's just here for you. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then for others that, that get uncomfortable, like, oh, no, we, you know, the Holy Spirit, is, he's not here to bless me. I'm here to go through a miserable life and wear sackcloth and every day is going to be terrible. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. That, that is a future tense that, that, that carries with it the idea of promise. The reason why it's got to be in that order is that it is through the seeking first the kingdom that we understand the things we need added. If we don't first seek the kingdom, we'll miss the movement of God. Seeking first the kingdom puts our hearts in a place to, to understand. One of my favorite quotes, the famous preacher Adrian Rogers, God wants for you what you would want for you if you had the sense to want it. 
And so when we pray first for the things to be added without the kingdom, we're wanting the wrong things. But a church that says, no, it is not for us. We're not going to do the things that we simply want. We want the things that God wants. And so when a church corporately seeks first the kingdom, then that church, I guarantee you, becomes a movement of God and all those things get added. Radical life change by the droves, experiencing of, uh, of people giving their lives to Christ, being baptized, marriages being reconciled and restored. Listen, listen, it's okay to celebrate these things. We're not all about the metrics, but last week was huge for our church. And not just because people got saved and baptized. That's the best part, right? Last week, people got saved and baptized. Best part. But you know what else happened last week? I don't know. You probably missed this. It, 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 was, it, it was easy to, to not notice. But, but in March of 2020... Uh, this thing, uh, pandemic, was that what it was called, right? COVID, no, no, COVID, right. That when the pandemic hit and, and like many, our churches had online services for several months and then we reopened and, and listen, some people were, were, were not sure if they should come back. Some people really weren't in a place to come back because of health concerns. Some people just say it, they, they use that as an excuse not to have to come back for no apparent reason. And when we came back, listen, we did not come back with the force of presence that we did before. And I'm just, I got too much, I don't have enough time, I'm saying too, but I'm just going to confess to you, one of the things that I really had to pray about, because I, I was kind of angry and, and I, was, I, was, I was questioning God, is the first eight weeks of 2020 were, were really like monumental at our church. The first eight weeks of 2020, we, we, in, in eight weeks, we saw almost 200 people saved and over 100 people baptized. Our weekly in-person attendance was starting to get dangerously close to about 3,000 people. And then we go online, <laughs> and then we come back, and across four campuses at the time, we're seeing 500 people, 600 people. And hear me, it's not about the metrics, but you better believe that every person matters. That's why we count. And last Sunday, January 8th, random Sunday, since we came back from the pandemic, outside of an Easter service or a Christmas service, last Sunday is the first time since before the pandemic that BT has celebrated over 2,000 people in physical worship together. A movement of God. And so when, when, when the church is committed to the corporate prayer, we, yes, see God move, but we join in the movement and we become part of the movement ourselves. We seek first the kingdom of God so that we would want the things God wants for us, so we would know the things that we actually need provided to us. And then number three, a praying church experiences the mission of God. Because we experience the miraculous and because we experience the movement of God, it is only natural that we would then experience the mission of God as a continual reality for our church. In Acts chapter 12, verse 24, it says this, after Herod had died, but the word of God flourished and multiplied. So just for the record, if you got uncomfortable, he's like, oh, he's talking about numbers. Why does the book of Acts repeatedly talk about multiplication and numbers? But the word of God flourished and multiplied. And after they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was also called Mark. What am I getting at? Through this 
by the way, through a bad season, right? The church was, Herod was violently attacking the church. It is sometimes through the darkest nights that the light shines brightest. Let me be clear, following God doesn't mean every day is a Friday and it's roses and rainbows. Following God means his will and his glory is our chief concern. And so on the absolute best days, we are content. And on the worst of days, we rest in the peace of God. But when a church is committed to prayer, then it is not their personal mission agenda. I know words kind of get interchanged, and so I'm not here to be the word police, right? But let me just clarify some things. If you walked out these doors or these doors, you would see our vision statement. And I use that word intentionally. We don't, we don't make up a mission statement. Jesus did. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all. That's the mission of the church. As a unique local expression, we do have a vision for how we want to accomplish that. BT Church exists to glorify God by leading people to live transformed lives. That's making disciples through biblical teaching, relevant worship, global concern, and authentic community. That is baptizing and teaching. And so we, we, we have a, a vision, right? But, but a church committed to prayer doesn't just have a vision, they've got the mission right. And sadly today, lots of churches are losing sight of the mission. And beloved, let, let me say this. As the church prayed fervently on Peter's behalf, God did more than they asked for and he eliminated the threat. <laughs> Herod, Herod died. And I don't say this, you know, oh, it's a scare tactic or he's, you know, he's all fire and brimstone. Chris is angry today. You know, I, I say this as a reality that I hope to avoid. When a church corporately loses sight that God's glory is the chief concern, I promise you God will eliminate that church as well. Everybody got real scared. You saying he's going to kill us all? That's all I'm saying. I'm saying, but the, the vital ministry of that church. Listen, there are churches technically meeting right now across our community and across the country. They're actually meeting in person. They have a presence, but they don't got a ministry. And then there are dozens and hundreds of churches every month and every year that are closing doors. And, and I want to be clear. It's not always because they abandoned God's glory. Sometimes the pastor didn't and the people did. Sometimes the people didn't and the pastor did. But most of the time, I would argue, when a church is closing their doors somewhere in the trajectory of their history, they took the glory of God and removed it as the chief concern. And so I celebrate, hear me, I celebrate that God and his amazing grace lets us experience life change literally on a weekly basis. I celebrate that more people are coming to BT and coming back to BT. You know, for, 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 for uh, all of you that wonder why I say next week is bring a friend week, at 9 a.m., our student pastor Colin baptized two students that got to BT. You know why? Because they were invited. And so we, we continue... We continue to believe that miracles will happen as we operate as a movement of God. We, we celebrate 38 years behind us, but we look forward to 38 years in front of us or the return of Jesus, and we keep the miracles and the movement intact because we stay focused on the mission. And I know that a message on corporate prayer may not seem real personal, but I promise you, beloved, 
choosing to be a part of a church that values corporate prayer, but you can't just choose to be a part of the church, you've got to be a part of the movement. Choosing to put yourself in position to practice corporate prayer will only enhance your personal prayers. Next week, we're going to talk about personal prayers. Listen, you can't have one without the other. Someone who comes to all the corporate prayer services of a church and they don't have a prayer life of their own, guess what? They're not mature either. You've got to have both. And I'm thankful that I get to stand on a legacy of prayer warriors and men and women that, have gone, that are here today and have gone on before me to position this church to be about the business of prayer. Because listen, listen, we, we've worshiped in song today and it was powerful. We're worship, we worshiped in giving and that's powerful. We're worshiping in the word today, right? But if you read the Bible, uh, God said something very clear about his house. He said, my house will be a house of prayer. I really wish he said my house will be a house of preaching because I'd be killing it, right? And some people wish that he said, I, my house will be a house of, of worship and song, or my, my house will be a house of giving, right? And, and those things, by the way, the Bible speaks to their importance for sure. But I don't think that God is mincing words when he says, my, my house will be a house of prayer. Because if you have a house of preaching and worship and giving, and it's not built on prayer, guess what? It's the wrong kingdom. And so my hope is that God will take this message that's meant for the body of Christ and make it uniquely personal for you. As we close out today, before we leave, we're going to have a time of response and worship for those in this room, for those watching online. We encourage you to engage with us and let us know how we can serve you best. But today, here are some takeaways for you to be mindful of. Plain and simple, this one's obvious. How will you, how are you, and how will you participate in the corporate prayer life of the church? That's, this is why we make community groups such a big deal. Find a community group. You can find a list online. You can start one. Listen, it doesn't even have to be that formal. Find some people that, that you're here with today. Say, let's go to lunch today. And that's a community group. You get, let's go to lunch. Let's talk about how awesome the sermon was today. I mean, that guy killed it. He knocked it out of the park, right? And then after you do that, or probably before you do that, you pray for one another. Guess what? That's corporate prayer. What the Bible say? What Jesus say? When two agree... In my name. And so community matters. You come to the men's and women's studies on Wednesday night. Right now, here at this McAllen campus, we have a parenting class. We have classes on Sundays. But you find spaces to engage in corporate prayer. Our kids' ministry, student ministry, young adult ministry, all of these spaces. Listen, I'll say it again as a practical action item and also a burden on my heart that I think our church needs to embrace more. February 1st is the first Wednesday of the month. Would you come fill more of these seats? Listen, you're not going to walk in and get this like, or, or you might, but, but you probably won't walk in and get some chill running down your spine like, ooh, man, the glory of God, I feel the glory. We're not trying to manufacture things first Wednesdays. We're trying to make it not about us. And so after we have a time of consecration, we, we ask the Lord individually, would you clean my heart, show me what's off, and we worship, then we start praying for each other. That's what we do. Like, that's the magic formula. We start praying for each other. And then the last time in January, that's all we did is pray for each other. Sometimes we move from that, we get in groups and we pray for specific things. We pray for the lost, right? February 1st at 6.30, you're invited right here. But, but also because the personal prayer life matters, you connect the personal prayer to the corporate prayer by understanding how prayer works, right? Understand whether you're praying with a group or you're praying on your own, you're praying to a real person, the living God. I think sometimes some of us have been in church so long, we, we lose sight of that fact. We're just, 
You know, one of the statements I've heard over 20 years of ministry that breaks my heart is I hear people say, you know, sometimes I pray and I feel like it doesn't get above the ceiling. I understand the feeling, but it's just not true. So we pray to the person of the Father, through the person of the Son, by the person and the power of the Spirit. We pray with a purpose, right? We don't just mutter words. We pray with a purpose that God's glory would be manifested, that, that, that through his glory he would continue to increase uh, his presence in our lives and meet our needs. And, and we pray with thankful hearts, right? And so we pray with purpose and we pray with passion. We, we pray fervently like those did in the book of Acts. And so today, in these closing few minutes, as we have our prayer ministers here at the front, maybe your response is actually to come forward and just to come begin practicing the attitude of prayer, to kneel here at the front. There's nothing magical about the front of the church, but there's power and active obedience. You're watching online. Message us those prayer requests. That's an active way to engage. Bring those concerns forward. Believe that God is working on your behalf. Maybe you want to join the person being baptized today, right? You want to pray for the strength of obedience as you go public with your faith. You can join the baptism celebration we're about to have. But maybe someone here right now or watching online, the reality is you haven't said yes to Jesus. And here's the truth. Corporate prayers are connected connected to personal prayers, and personal prayers are connected to a personal relationship. You're like, oh, I've been to church my whole life, Chris. Well, I got baptized when I was a baby. I got baptized when I was an adult. I did a one. I, I was confirmed. I've got the best family. That's great. But you've got to believe in your heart and confess in your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead. No one can believe that for you. And so today, if you don't know if you've placed your faith in Jesus, it's not mystical. It's a relationship. And it seems too good to be true, right? Well, you're saying all I got to do is just believe that Jesus died on my behalf and that he rose again? That's what you do. Now, the byproduct is you live a surrendered life. I'm just going to say this. People who genuinely give their life to Jesus don't spend the rest of their life running from him. That's why the prayer that we're about to offer that we call a sinner's prayer, it is not a magic formula. You can't utter some words and then live like hell and think that it kind of did the trick. You believe by faith that Jesus is who he says he is, and then you, li you live your life surrendered to the king. But today, if you haven't surrendered yourself, then I invite you in this room or online to join me in a prayer that is a prayer of confession of your need for a savior. So every head bowed and every eye closed. If today, before we worship, your response is to say yes to Jesus, to place your faith in him today, then right where you are, just say this prayer with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm far from you and I'm lost without you. I believe you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth. I believe he lived without sin. I believe he died on the cross and paid for sin. And I believe three days later he rose from the grave and he defeated sin. And so Jesus... Today, I trust you with my life and surrender to you as my Lord and Savior. Would you help me live for